stand by while NCLA cuts through the noise to signal abuse of administrative power. This is Administrative Static with Mark Chenoweth and John Vecchione. Hello, everybody. Welcome to Administrative Static. And uh, the announcer is incorrect today. Mark Chenoweth is not with me. Uh, but I do have uh, my colleague, Greg Dolan. We have had uh, a lot of activity in a case that has garnered an enormous amount of attention in the legal community, particularly the patent community, which is Newman v. Moore. And in this case, uh, the Federal Circuit is trying to uh, basically strip Judge Newman of her judicial powers without impeachment or without Congress or anything like that. And there's been a lot of uh, unusual activity there in doing that. And uh, that unusual activity is now going to be examined by a district court. We filed an amended complaint and a uh, preliminary injunction to ask the district court to stop the federal court, uh, is what the appellate court is doing. So, Greg, welcome to Administrate Static. And Thank you. Tell us, uh, what does the preliminary injunction ask for and why did we do it? Well, let me go back for a moment and just uh, offer a small correction mm-hmm. to the description. It's not that the Federal Circuit is trying to strip Judge Newman of her judicial powers. They have stripped Judge Newman of her judicial powers. She has not sat on a single panel since April. And the justifications for her not sitting on any panel have swung back and forth, uh, you know, I would say like a grandfather clock, but it was much more wild swings than that. Um, and so, you know, so we're asking for that to stop, which gets to your question. What does preliminary injunction ask for? You know, we have both kind of a broad ask and a narrow ask. The narrow ask is that Judge Newman should be restored to her job and be allowed to act as a any other active judge of that court. Uh, the at least unless and until she's impeached and removed by Congress or chooses to step down on her own. And I don't see any chance she'll be removed. And the broad ask is that um, the court, to the extent, you know, they don't grant other relief, declare the statute and the rules that purport to allow such removal to be unconstitutional. Because again, the only body that can remove a federal judge is uh, the United States Senate upon a conviction after impeachment by U.S. House. So those are our asks. And, and uh, you know, for, you know, I, I know that the, the patent folks and the people who are in this, in this bar who are listening know some of this stuff. But um, why it, this has garnered a lot of attention because it's so unusual. What's unusual about it? Well, so... You know, as I was drafting the most preliminary injunction, I did a fairly deep dive into history. And turns out, so about 15 or so years ago, maybe a bit more, then she, then circuit ju- not sorry, then Associate Justice Breyer uh, chaired a committee that investigated how do these judicial disciplinary functions work. Because look, let's be honest, there are cases where it's worthwhile for judiciary to internally kind of to clean house. Somebody's taken bribes and another judge, for example, sees it. It's good for the judiciary to say, look what we found. Here's our report. Congress do something about it. That's, for example, what happened in a case of Judge Porteous, 
who was, I believe, in, in a city on the eastern district of Louisiana. He was caught essentially lying to bankruptcy court. He was going through bankruptcy. He was caught up, lied to the bankruptcy court and then to his colleagues and et cetera. And the Fifth Circuit investigated him, said that this judge is committing perjury. He's hiding assets, wrote a report, submitted to judicial conference, judicial conference, passed it off to Congress, and House unanimously impeached him and the Senate unanimously convicted him. Perfectly appropriate for the process to have begun in, uh, you know, in, um, in House. Yeah. Or, you know, for example, if a judge is being, let's say, behaves inappropriately towards one of his or her law clerks and says, say, harassing things, it's appropriate for the judge to get together and say, stop it. It's bad behavior and we're going to reprimand you. That's fine. But removal is a different thing. And so, like I said, I did a fairly deep dive into it. And what's unusual about it is that, as the prior report shows, never in the history of this country, not once, before the passage of the Disability Act, after the passage of the Disability Act, as any judge... And I'll just interject. The Disability Act is the act upon which the uh, other judges in the Federal Circuit are relying that they're allowed to do this. Uh, it's it's the act that they say gives them the power to do this. Correct. So this was passed in 1980. Uh, so it's been on the books for like, two generations. It's like for what 20, 43 years. Oh, that hurt. Uh, that so, go ahead. But uh, I'm I'm right there with you. <laughs> but um, never has it been used to actually strip a judge of judicial duties. Uh, there kind of there have been attempts to do it, but. Every time they've been so slapped down, either by judicial counsels or by the courts. So, uh, you know, Judge Newman has been a trailblazer for her entire life. She was one of the first women to get a PhD from Yale. She was one of the first women to get a, uh, you know, to become a uh, a chemist in a major company. She was one of the first women to. She was actually the first woman appointed by President Reagan to an appellate bench. Sandra Day O'Connor was the first. Woman to the Supreme Court, but to appellate bench, it was Judge Newman. Uh, but she has no interest in being a trailblazer in being the first judge ever suspended from judicial duties. That is one thing that she's not interested in. So that's what makes it unusual. And, um, you know, uh, let's go through some of the things that the federal circuit made up of judges who, uh, you know, uh, let's, let's look at some of the things they've said that have not panned out. Now, you go through some of those things. You talked about the wild swings, but I think the wild swings were because uh, there was no there there. Well, there was no there there, and they're kind of been constantly caught by us. Sometimes the press. And sometimes the press with, you know, I don't, I'm not going to use colloquialism, but they've been constantly caught with, um, you know, doing and saying things that are just not true. Let's begin with the very first order. Uh, the very first order said, and although that portion is redacted, but we've cited it in our uh, briefs and we've sort of said it in the press, it accused Judge Moore, uh, sorry, Judge Newman of having had a heart attack, having had stents placed, and having fainted at some point. None of those things are true. And honestly, I am at a loss as to where would judges of the federal circuit even get that information. It's not something, you know, it's one thing to say, look, I saw somebody limping. Because I saw it, I can see that they're not or, walking quite. Or I watched someone faint. Or I watched somebody faint. Or, you know, I saw somebody, you know, fall asleep, whatever, right? But how, you know, where did they get the information that Judge Newman had a heart attack while she didn't? And, you know, I actually had a chance to review her medical records. Nothing in there about heart attack. Nothing there. Um, so we pointed that out. 
And then, you know, and oh, and Greg's a doctor. I forgot. Oh, right. I, I should have, I, I, we sometimes, Mark always calls him Dr. Gold, but, but, but he, he is a, a MD. So I had a, you know, I'm not a practicing physician, so I, I want to hold my, nobody should seek my medical help. No, but you but, know how but, to read but I, I know how to read a chart. Um, you know, other things such as, for example, um, Judge Moore, uh, Judge Moore accused you and maybe other members of the Judicial Council accused Judge Newman of having had um, certain opinions on her desk for more than a year. Uh, and therefore, so there's the generic rules as to how cases get assigned. And, you know, we don't object to those equally applicable rules saying, look, if you were kind of piling up opinions, right, take a breather, don't sit on the next month cases, you know, move them off your desk, right? That's, you know, every law firm works. That, 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 is, that is basically um, uh, ad- administrative control of the docket rather exactly. than taking someone off. They, they, they are almost, it's almost like they, they, they have, they're their own jailer. They write right. their opinions, they're back on. Right, exactly. Uh, but, and so the Federal Circuit has some rules saying that, look, if you have two or more opinions that have been sitting with you for over a year, you don't sit on next month, or four or more opinions that are over six months. So, right. Well, so Judge Newman was accused of having two or more opinions that are more than a year old, except that the Federal Circuit's own rule says that opinions that are being held. What's that? So, for example, if the court says, look, we have this case, but there we expect further developments, say, Supreme Court took a similar case. Or the en banc court took a similar case, or Congress considering changing in the law. Why decide something today that may be no longer applicable tomorrow? Let's hold this, let's wait on it, get a word from a higher authority, and then we'll decide. So one of those cases was just like that. The court Congress considering an act which they ultimately passed. The court asked for a briefing on the effect of that act. And then within just over six months, Judge Newman wrote an opinion for unanimous panel saying Here's what the, act, the new act does. Here's how this gets resolved. And, but yet, this was counted against her, even though the rules specifically say not. The second issue, the second case that was supposedly over a year old, was, she was not even an author of that opinion. She was in dissent. Judge Reyna was an author of the opinion. It took him about 10 months to write the majority or so, maybe nine. And then Judge Newman wrote a dissent within four months. Now, would somebody prefer to she, that she would have written the dissent faster? Perhaps. But she was not in violation of the rule, and yet the court said that she was. And I can go through more and more things like that, but this was just consistent misstatement of fact. There were misstatements of the law. For example, the special committee, uh, which investigates Judge Newman, cited um, you know, in support of uh, their super expedited schedule. They occasionally have given Judge Newman no more than three days to respond to their orders. And that wasn't before she even had us represent her. She had no counsel. Uh, and the justification for that was that supposedly Congress intended for things to happen, for the whole thing to happen within 90 days. And so they said Senate report in support of their proposition. Except the Senate report was to a bill that was never enacted. It was just this kind of, you know, a mistake one off here, a mistake one off there. We can say, look, anybody can make mistakes. So it was, so not only was it legislative history, which I know many of in our audience have Scalia's view that that's uh, looking into the audience and picking out your friends. But they were picking out their friends from another room. Exactly. Exactly. And like I said, anybody can make mistakes. Um, but, you know, if it's one mistake, it's a mistake. Two mistakes, you start scratching your head. One is three or four, that becomes a pattern. It it really does become a pattern. And um, we'll come back in the, in the next segment and talk about some other unusual aspects of this. But I do think that, particularly in the judiciary, you would really want to get these things right when you go to do something so extraordinary. 
and there's been kind of insouciance uh, to the whole thing. So we'll talk about that when we come back. Welcome back to Administrative Static, and we're speaking to my colleague, Greg Dolan, uh, about the case of Newman v. Moore, and part of the case, since it's uh, in two different courts in, in, in one manner or another, we're in the district court in D.C., and we were talking about, in the last segment, all the strange things that weren't uh, true or accurate that uh, the, the Federal Circuit accused Judge Newman of, but now here's another thing that... Um, you know, they asked for her to get a medical exam by God knows who in in like three days or four days or whatever it was. And they've withdrawn that, right? They've withdrawn that request at least pendently for now. I don't know if I would qualify to withdrawn that request. I think they are, you know, I think they've come to the realization that Judge Newman is not going to submit to this request. And then we can go into reasons why. Right. Uh, and so they're now investigating why is she being so mean to the court and not refusing to submit yeah. to the so, exam by God knows who? Right. Since they can't get that, they they would like to uh, ding her for not making that, you know, undergoing a medical exam that she's not required to take. But I, I have, uh, there's there's another thing going on here is that when you were looking into the history of these things, as you, as you were talking about a little earlier, um, is it, it, sometimes when these things come up, they send it to another circuit, right? Not sometimes, almost always. So um, generally, well, usually when these things come up, the judicial counsel of every circuit except the federal circuit and, you know, for reasons um, of federal circuit's nature. So it's not, not nothing against Judge Newman. Uh, judicial counsels are composed by equal number, by, by number of circuit and district judges. And so, for example, if a complaint comes up against a district judge, it's possible that people who investigate him actually are not his close colleagues. Because, for example, if somebody comes up from, say, District of Eastern District of Virginia, the Judicial Council of the Fourth Circuit may not have a district judge from that court. And so it's, you know, they can be more or less impartial. But when a complaint comes up against a circuit judge, because circuit judges are always, by by law, have to be on the Judicial Council. Almost all, all every case that I found ever since the Breyer Report got transferred to a different council, including a complaint against uh, then-Judge Kavanaugh uh, following his Senate testimony during his confirmation that he was injudicious, et cetera, et cetera. Right, and so... And he was no longer a judge in the D.C. Circuit by then. By that point, he was elevated. And so, although ultimately the complaint was dismissed, the Circuit could have done it on its own. But even at that point, it said, you know, he's our former colleague. He was just here. Let's move it to a more neutral panel. They moved it to the 10th Circuit. Right. And and uh, and they did that because they all, they don't want to be judges in their own case, right? They have too much they have too much skin in the game when they have a colleague like. I mean, like I said, in that case, they no longer even had a skin in the game right. because the judge Kavanaugh by that point was Justice Kavanaugh. But 
it, it it just was unseemly, right? Because they had to figure out like what did their colleague say while he was their colleague? Was it really true or not? What did they know about him? So meaning they could have been witnesses. But federal circuit is unique. Federal circuit has only circuit judges on it. So uh, any complaint about any one of them, unless it's something entirely extraneous to the court, right? That you know some judge some punch somebody in the nose, like you know while you know on vacation in Hawaii or something. Um, necessarily makes the colleagues witnesses, especially in a case like Judge Newman, when uh, even the orders themselves say, look, judges have complained about her being slow, just complained about asking inappropriate questions or saying inappropriate things during deliberative process. Well, there's nobody else in this in that conference room except the judges. They're necessarily witnesses. They're also, if they've complained about it, they're complainants. How can you be a witness complainant and adjudicator all at the same time? So we've asked for a transfer. We asked for a transfer numerous times. And the court gave us, frankly, a bizarre response. It said, we will we'll deny request for a transfer, but we're willing to reconsider it once you turn over medical records and sit for medical exam. And honestly, I don't understand that. What either you're conflicted out, which I think certainly they are, or you're not. What does medical exam results and what does submission of medical records have to do with any of that? Right. And if it gets moved, they could they the, the other court could pick um doctors to do this exam i mean do they do they really want these doctors for some reason i mean it's very it's very odd i i mean if this was being done more in sorrow than anger you'd think the first thing they'd want to do is get it out of their hands and give it to the you know the dc circuit or the fourth circuit something you know and um and that they don't want to do that and that they're digging their heels in on on a procedure like this is 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 makes me very skeptical. And I, I have to say, I obviously have never practiced in the federal circuit. I, I am uh, uh, a, a kind of a stranger to it. But um, it just strikes me as very, very odd behavior because I have noted that um, usually judges don't like doing any of this stuff. They, they, it's like a duty that they do. And so if you can, if you have a decent reason for moving it, you move it. So, I mean... Just uh, look, courts don't work unless judges look. Judges can disagree, strongly disagree with the judge jurisprudentially on patent law, just like on any other law. But in order for a collegial court, like every appeal court, is to function, judges have to be able to talk to each other like human beings, right? Kind of like Ginsburg and Scalia had, you know, they disagree with each other on the bench, but they could walk into those chambers, they could be civil about it. How does one remain civil when, so imagine we agree, we had agreed for this to stay with the federal circuit, we submitted to all the requests and the doctors picked by, handpicked by the committee said, you know, Judge Newman is fine, no problem. Then they conclude, you know, be restored to the counter. How do they expect for this, you know, to go back to normal? How do they expect this court to function? I just, I, as opposed to if, if another court does it, either said like, look, Judge Newman is disabled or she's not, then the court said, look, we, it's not, we didn't do anything, right? So we can go back to normal. We had neutral uh, arbitrators decide this, and this is it. I, I think it, it is, one of the reasons we took this case is not just to protect Judge Newman, although certainly, especially as a former clerk, I appreciate the opportunity. But one of the reasons we took it is to protect the federal judiciary and the American public right to be judged by Senate confirmed judges. Well, that's, and, and. And this is destroying the court. Not, not only that. But, you know, she's, she's pretty much the great dissenter on that court. 
And we've pointed out in our papers how many times the Supreme Court has adopted her views, right? And just two days ago, Supreme Court took another case, the granted cert another case where Judge Newman wrote the majority on the panel and right. then was overturned by the en banc court and so wrote in dissent. Right. Supreme Court general doesn't take to affirm. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So, and then even while we're doing this case, I think is at, at, like June 6th, she came out with another opinion, right? That yep. she'd been writing from, from when she was on panels. And I think the, the legal commentators have all said, it's fine opinion, whether you agree with it or not. It certainly doesn't show incompetence or that she's not doing her job. And, um, and, and just to point out, she's doing it with reduced staff, right? Right. Because one of her law clerks was taken away and was not replaced for some, now she has her judicial assistant back, but for a while she didn't have a judicial assistant and, you know, she has trouble coming into court because of, of this tension in part, right? So she's doing this work despite being a hamstrung by, um, you know, by the situation. Exactly. And, and so, um, I do think. Now, let's talk about the PI. Uh, what's the timing on it? I think we've, we've agreed with the government on a, on a timing schedule, but when do you think we'll be before the district court? We've, uh, the court hasn't entered an order yet, but I, we expect that they would, you know, yeah. take, you know. So the government's brief is going to be due in a month. I believe is going to be July 25th, I think. And then our response will be due two weeks after that, which I think, or maybe a bit more, I think that gets us to somewhere August 15th or so, right. I think we've agreed. And then the government uh, response will be due a couple of weeks after that. And so basically we should be done briefing absent some, you know, thing, right. uh, something happens by end of August. And I hope the court will give us a short hearing date. Yeah. And, and right after, right after Labor Day. I, uh, I would hope so. That's what, was what I'm going for. And I think that, um, but but Judge Newman has been off the court since how long? Uh, since April. So yeah. last her last sitting was in, in March. And, you know, as you said, we're moving on two different tracks. There's another hearing. We can talk about that. It's coming up in the federal circuit where, you know, they're investigating her for failure to go and go cooperate. Yeah. And, you know, we pointed out that she's willing to cooperate. She's just not willing to roll over, right? There's a difference between cooperation and submission. That's correct. And the federal circuit doesn't seem to appreciate that difference no uh and so we're gonna have this hearing and i suspect given the prior behavior the court will has basically made up its mind it's going to impose some sort of sanction and we'll see what that is going to be yeah and you know when we get to the district court because of that i mean i guess the federal circuit could do something and then and that if they've let her back on um you know who knows but i just I, I'm, I've been sort of um, confused by their whole strategy, but I will, I will say this: Who's representing the federal circuit? I think it. And, and by the way, the, the lawyers on the other side have been very professional. This isn't anything about them, but I find it very interesting that the federal circuit is defended by the executive branch. It's it's very odd. Um, I mean, in some sense, who else is going to do it? But it's it's very odd when you know we're arguing that you know uh, this is actually tried to try some Congress's authority. That executive branch is defending the federal circuit, right? It's probably I I did uh, I, I didn't immediately know who does it actually when we when we filed this case I was not sure how exactly it worked. So um, well, let's sum up a little bit here. So we have these two tracks. We have the federal circuit, which we we appear before them July thirteenth, July right? right? In a closed hearing, we've asked for the hearing to be open, but the court thus far has denied it. 
And uh, we'll go to that, and then th they'll make their decision, whatever they make to their decision, right? You and I don't know when right. they'll be. And, um, but in the mean, and, and while that's going on, we will have something before the district court. And uh, do you recall the judge that's been assigned to him? Um, I always forget his last name. It's uh, I, his initial is CRC. Uh, so it's, I think it's, his last name is Carney. Yeah. So he's appointed by President Obama. So he's been on the bench for 10 years. So not, not very green. Right. So we, he, you know, he will- Judicial fortitude. Yes, exactly. Yeah. Uh, and so we do, we, uh, it, it's a very interesting case and um, I hope our listeners uh, will follow it and we will let you know what happens. 